I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff, a PhD student at the Institute for Christian Studies and the co-director of the Detnico Center for Christianity and Socialism. And I'm Matt Bernico, a PhD haver. And also co-member of the Detnico. I'm. I think that's okay that my name comes last in this one, um, but uh, otherwise I might be. Um, might be. Ma- might be mad about it. The Detnico Center for Christianity and Socialism. Here we are. We're really doing it. And John, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, my name is uh, John Thornton Jr. I'm a co-pastor of Jubilee Baptist Church and um, a, a champion of the Detnico uh, Center for Christianity and Socialism. A fellow, an honorary fellow. An honorary fellow. <laughs> Some people have to pay a lot of money for that. Yeah, no, yeah. I think that, I mean, the, the champions, I, I, I prefer the term champion. That's the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we don't, we, you're right. We don't, we don't hire honorary fellows. We hire champions to fight for us in the battle of public discourse. Owning the libs, but from the other That's side. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, glad to have you on board as one of our champions, one of our uh, one of our many Davids against the Goliaths of capitalism. <laughs> uh, well, thanks. Thanks for coming back, John. Uh, for folks who are longtime Magnificast listeners, you've met John several times before. If you're not a longtime listener, uh, you can listen to all our New Year's episodes because John always comes back. But we've got him back early this year. Don't worry, he will come back for the new year. Uh, but we have him back early because there's some big news that only John can help us think about that we will get to later in the show, which is the establishment of the Falkirk Center. Don't worry, we'll tell you all about it. Um, but before we get there, uh, John, you've had a really wild year. The last time that you were on the show, it was the beginning of this year, and you were just getting ready to launch with uh, co-pastors um, Jubilee Baptist Church. And uh, now that you're a bit further, further along with that, could you give us uh, an update? Maybe we could just sort of start... The conversation about uh, the weft and what y'all are doing, and uh, we'll get into everything starting there. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So last time we talked, I think I was, I think I was still living in in Winston Salem, which is where I worked at the, the church I was working at previously, but was moving to uh, Durham to be a part of a church replant in in Chapel Hill. Um. So so we uh, Jubilee Baptist Church. We're a, a Church replant of Ephesus Baptist Church was founded in 1891, um, and uh, about a year ago, 
realized that they had come to the end of their life as a church um, and needed to do something pretty drastically new. And so that that meant uh, hiring a couple new pastors in addition to their senior pastor, my friend Kevin at Rev Kev Geo, who I think is a people should follow. He's he's very funny, a really good writer. Um, That's a good one. Yeah, yeah, Fr- friend friend of the pod. Um, and we'll, we'll <laughs> uh, but yeah, we were we were sort of moving towards that, and so we have in that time uh, since the first of the year, really since November of a year ago, uh, moved towards this replant. And so in September, we we launched uh, as a a new church, um, meeting regularly for worship. Uh, people keep showing up and we'll keep doing it until they stop. Uh, but one of the things, uh, we do a couple of things. So uh, the way we phrase it is we worship, gather, struggle, and liberate. Um, so I think worship is relatively self-evident that we, we but, but I mean, it's self-evident, but also like um, it's not a given at this point in churches. So we worship God, uh, the triune Lord. Um you know, we're not trying to trick anybody into thinking that we're like a coffee shop and then they get there and they're like, are you guys a church? Um, like, I think this feels a lot like a Pretty church. Disappointing. And I'm, I'm from like suburban Dallas, which is, that's a, like a more common thing than you would, you would expect. Um, we gather, which means we, uh, you know, eat together, we read together, we talk together. So I, we're recording this a few hours after I got dinner with some congregants and we uh, got together and talked about Herbert McCabe's Christian love and, or no, class, the class show and Christian love. Um, we struggle, which means that, uh, you know, we recognize that not everybody comes to our church with fully formed beliefs about God, uh, and that faith is oftentimes a struggle. Um, and we also recognize that there are real struggles, uh, like the class struggle. So people may come to our church believing theologically in many of the same ways that we do, but they also uh, are dealing with the fact that they're in debt, that their uh, employer is exploiting them, uh, dealing with things like sexual harassment, infrequent scheduling, uh, like racist discrimination, those sorts of things. And like that, those are very real struggles that we have to respond to as a church. Um, and then we liberate. And so one of the, the way we do that, I think most, most pointedly is that we pay off each other's debts. So built into our budget as a church is a, a fund for $25,000 a year that we use to, uh, pay off somebody's debt once a month. And we focus particularly on members as a way of saying like, this is a problem that all of us have. And this is not, we are not as a church going out to help somebody else. Like the way we understand this is not, uh, how do we go help people that are in debt outside the church? But our understanding is we are all in debt and we have to help each other. And this is the way that we do it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what we do. And then, uh, you know, but we're also like a very normal church in that we have a budget. We have quarterly church conferences. Uh, we have 
columns and a steeple, you know, like we're in some ways very, very normal, but the direction that we're going, uh, I think is fairly, it's interesting to me. <laughs> and that's, uh, yeah. So that's, that's Jubilee Baptist. Uh, well, John, you're the pastor of what is perhaps the only good church that I've ever heard of. Um, <laughs> it's so wild that you guys focus on debt like you do. I think that's the most interesting thing in the world. Um, but before we talk more about the debt stuff, which is something I want to get to, um, how do other folks, like other Baptist churches, how do they respond to you? Like, do, do you guys, I don't know what the like the ecclesial hierarchy is of Baptist churches, probably not much, but um, do other folks think that you're really peculiar or like, how does that work out? Well, the weird thing about being a Baptist, and I mean, it's, it's especially weird. And I have to clarify this with every person I talk to uh, in the South, especially. Um, the weird thing about being Baptist is that the only thing we have in common is that we have nothing in common or that we don't necessarily have anything <laughs> in common, right? Like, is that the only thing we have in common is that our churches determine our lives to get like what the congregation senses uh, and understands God calling us to is what we do. Um, so uh, at least right now, we're just, we're just doing what we think we ought to do. Uh, we are a part of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, which um, is a larger, uh, their term for it is a denominetwork. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and they, uh, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, of which I've been a part for a long time, and, and and which our church is very happy to support um, and to be a part of. Um, uh, moved out of the Southern Baptist Convention uh, in the 80s. So the, the Cooperative Fellowship is 27 years old, 26 years old. And this is, a, this is about the time where the Southern Baptists like made this hard move to the right, both theologically and politically. Um, so, you know, I would say the, the CBF is in some ways kind of confused, but also open in really interesting ways, uh, in that there's a real aversion to telling any congregation what they ought to do based on how, uh, the, the Southern Baptists did just that like the southern Baptists, basically in the 80s for for listeners the southern Baptists in the 80s and the 90s made this hard right move and basically had these like faith statements all this stuff and said if you are not on board with this hard right theological political move uh you are out of the convention which was a way of relating to other congregations um and the cooperative Baptist fellowship was birthed out of a reaction to that and in, in a, a um, which has advantages and disadvantages because it could be helpful to tell congregations, oh, we're not going to associate with you over this matter. Um, but for us, it is, it's an advantage because like we get to do what we want. Um, we're, we're, an, we're an autonomous congregation, but we also get to associate with churches that are pretty like, like-minded and that have this sort of moderate uh, 
to sometimes very liberal progressive understanding of theology and what we ought to be doing together. Yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense in terms of like how, uh, the particular expression of Baptists that you're a part of the denominate network, uh, would relate. Do you have any kind of, um, relationship to other churches in the area or other denominational churches, or have you found like other Christians outside of that denomination having any kind of interest in what you're up to positive or negative? Um, well, I mean, I get like Twitter messages or like emails in response to my newsletter pretty regularly from colleagues, uh, or, or just other ministers that are kind of burning out all the time basically uh or that, that that read about what we're doing as a church um and i don't say that uh as like a way of i'm not trying to like brag like a bunch of people are into what we're doing um locally at this point we're just trying to like get off the ground you know i mean we're still a small church like we still have it's like 40 people that show up on a sunday uh which is not a small thing but it's not it's not huge. It's not a big deal. So, um, locally it's, it's mostly me and the ways that me and, uh, Kevin and Heather, the, the two co-pastors that I work with, just the relationships that we have with other pastors. But as of right now, we're just kind of like trying to build up our church and make it into a thing. Uh, and that, I mean, it's, it's really exciting and it's fun. Um, and I, I, I'm looking forward to the ways that that leads to conversations and ways that we relate to other churches outside of us. But right now it's just kind of like figuring out what our life together looks like. Well, that's cool. I mean, 40 people, it's more people than go to my church. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about uh, the the debt stuff that you guys have going on. I think that's really cool. So, yeah, one of the things that makes your church really stand out is its approach to debt and paying off loans. Um, it's a really important ministry, and I think everyone needs to know about it, and I want every church to do it ever, um, <laughs> retroactively even. So can you say maybe a few words about like what it is that you're doing, why you're doing it? Is there like a theological motivation behind it, or is it just like uh, undercover Marxism or something? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> well, no, so, uh, okay. So, so like practically speaking, we have, um, in our budget, we have a debt liberation fund. And so, uh, each month we, uh, yeah, once a month we pay off somebody's debt. Uh, and, and so far that has been church members. Um, and, and we do that in worship and we do that, uh, by handing them a, when people ask like, how do you do that? And like, oh, well, you know, we just write a check and we hand it to them. Like it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> seems pretty straightforward. So, the nice thing about debt is it's incredibly simple. I think maybe I said this the last time I was on the podcast, uh, but it's actually like, it's a, it's a very simple, straightforward thing. Um, but we, we do that. Uh, so we have a debt liberation fund uh, out of which we uh, pay for people to get out of debt. Um, we start with church members. We focus on church members, but we're not exclusively doing that. 
Um, and uh, so uh, we're, we've looked at debts that are in the sort of four to $6,000 range. So the first one that we paid off was a $4,700 credit card debt held by a member. Um, I think it was a 29% interest rate um, that she took out um, mostly or took out a lot of it when um, to, to pay for uh, insulin and like mm. diabetes medication. Um, and working full time, but in the situation where, you know, working full time, the paycheck just evaporates. Uh, and, and like, is not falling behind on payments on anything, but is, you know, right on the edge. Uh, and so, we have an application process so people like they just fill an application uh, that is anonymous to our cooperative council who's the one right they're the ones right now that oversee that application um but then we like literally hand them a check in worship I and mean, so we have a liturgy and i'll uh i'll send it to y'all and maybe we can post it on the website like or yeah post yeah. it on wherever um but yeah, so like after the sermon, as we move into communion as a church, um, on those Sundays, there is a, a, a liturgy uh, where the church makes commitments to the person whose debt's being paid off. Uh, they receive that gift. Um, and then as we move into communion, they are one of the people that serves communion that Sunday. Um, and so, so we did the first one. It was a, um, someone paying off a credit card. Uh, they've all been credit cards because they're kind of the easiest, like the highest interest because they're just awful, you know, and, and like a, a you know, four to $6,000 credit card debt at, I mean, I have one that's like at like 25% interest is an awful awful thing and that's kind of what we can do as a as a congregation um but the larger i mean i guess the larger sort of theological um underpinning of it is that we we have to liberate each other uh so one of the ways i've is like we're, we're not doing this to go help people outside the church we're doing this because this is all we have like we, this is the only institution that we are going to be able to help each other. Um, and if you're here and you're a member and you're giving to this church, not that, no, I'm sorry, not that you have to give to the church to get these things done, but like that, that we're giving to this church and we're being a part of this thing. And that, that means certain commitments to one another. Uh, and for us, that's an exposure of uh, capitalism. That like capitalism exploits us in ways that aren't necessary and that we could actually do better otherwise. Um, and so that's part of the reason we do this publicly. A lot of churches will pay off debt either for people outside the church or um, will pay for things for people in need, um, either inside or outside the church, but it's always kind of secretive. And for us, it's like, no, look, we realize, like, 
this is a problem you're dealing with and it's not your fault. Uh, and so we've got to do it together. Uh, so that, so we do that. And so it's like, it's, it's the, it's, it brings me so much joy to do it. And so we, we, the first one was the credit card, uh, for diabetes medication. The last, we did two in October. One was for a guy who was, uh, working his way through college over like a decade basically. And then, um, lost his job his last few years while he was in college. Uh, and the other one that we paid off at the same time that Sunday was a, a woman on disability, um, who took out credit card debt to, um, yeah, pay for groceries. And, uh, yeah, it, it puts, it's put me into conversations with people that I've, I've, I've deeply enjoyed in a way that I enjoyed or like it's it's opened up things for me in terms of pastoral ministry that I didn't think were, I, I didn't know were possible. Yeah. I mean, I really admire that whole, the whole situation because I mean, I've been a part of like a, a church board of directors for a minute and, you know, sometimes we have situations uh, that come up where, you know, someone needs money in our community or whatever. And we always have to have these like really long and drawn out ad hoc decision-making kind of conversations where it's like, well, do they have the right social services? Are they like plugged into all these places? Do they have a job? You know, all these kinds of like large um, sort of grandiose um, <laughs> ways of answering the problem. But you guys just have like a really straightforward way of making decisions about how to give people money. And I think that's like, um, that's one of the most important things. I don't know. <laughs> just that it is like, so it is a straightforward problem and you guys have a very straightforward answer and there's no sort of like, hemming or hawing about it. You just have a way to make a decision about how to give people money and then you do it. It's, I think, a really good thing. It sounds, what you're saying, sounds like a pretty prophetic thing to do, John. Uh, this is my <laughs> uh, extremely ham-fisted way of transitioning us to start talking a little bit about how this relates to this Sojourners article that you uh, had recently written. Um, and, I mean, we, we can and should keep talking about this in this context, but I think this is just a really nice way of, like, framing this uh, so you wrote this article, Sojourners, about uh, a false binary between prophetic and pastoral ministry. And it's a great article. You talk about this weird balance of saying something radical and also then having to say something comforting or having, you know, a sort of division of labor in a pastoral team, uh, which probably people have heard about if they spent time in like evangelical spaces in particular. Um, I have anyway. But you say, quote, in an age of such drastic income and wealth inequality, what makes something prophetic or pastoral often boils down to how rich people feel about it, uh, which you then go on to say is maybe a bad metric <laughs> for thinking about these things. Um, so how do you think capitalism has shaped how pastors and congregations think about their ministry, but also their own lives, their own debt, um, in terms of things like this, right? Like uh, saying, saying something prophetic or saying something pastoral, so-called. Uh, and how are you and other pastors trying to change those habits at Jubilee? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that, that's a quote that I like a, a, a number of people pulled and uh, I, don't, I don't know that I thought it was, I mean, I guess I thought it was kind of the crux of the, the piece. I mean, for, for the listeners that haven't read it yet, um, what I was trying to get was, I mean, a lot of what I write is just me being annoyed at what I'm, like being told about how things should be. 
and assuming it's wrong and then wanting to figure out why. And so uh, the, 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 it's a pretty short, I mean, it's a relatively short piece. Uh, the idea is that, you know, for those of us that work in ministry or that are a part of a church is that, um, you know, like there's this idea of like there's pastoral ministry, which is things like going to the hospital, getting coffee with people, comforting them. And then there's prophetic ministry, which is often times characterized as like a social critique uh, or criticism. And so that's like sermons about social justice and all that stuff. And like, uh, and that you're supposed to balance these two. Um, and I, you know, like for me, it just, it just comes down to what counts as comfort in in criticism is uh, very oftentimes dependent on who's who's hearing it. Um, the idea that like you know wealthy uh, the wealthy exploitative people of the world that uh, their souls are endangered. Like I mean that's for most of human history, uh, that's been deeply comforting to the poor, <laughs> right? Like that's, I mean, and, uh, and, and, um, and so trying to, trying to flip those two, uh, around, like that's, that's what I was trying to get at. Like, what, why do we assume that like, what is pastoral and what is prophetic has to be about criticism or, or comfort? Um, and I mean, it's not easy to actually do, uh, it, it is, well, I mean, it is easy to sit with somebody that's in poverty and describe like why they are in poverty in terms of the, uh, you know, the gross imbalances of power and injustice that exists in our society. It's way harder to sit with, um, with people who have benefited from that and to explain that in a way, uh, mm -hmm. that's like pastoral. Does that make sense? And, and, and like, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do about it because I'm at a church where like those things are all kind of flipped and we're, we're, it's it's very very difficult um to, to to think about how to reorient um like what would we do what would like what uh, people listening to this that work in churches like what would you do if you didn't have to worry about the 10 wealthiest people in your church which is what like almost everybody has to do and that's usually how these terms get oriented right like what's pastoral and what's prophetic gets oriented around how the top 10 wealthiest people in the church will will respond to things. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I'd be curious to hear more about when you say something like, when you make a suggestion as a pastor that you should be reading, let's say, Herbert McCabe, or, you know, you were saying to us earlier that you were, you've been reading some Marks together. Um, 
you know, what is that like in a congregation that is like intentionally set up to be prepared to hear that as something that's not, you know, completely off the wall? <laughs> uh, like, I, I guess I, I can't really personally even imagine being in that sort of situation. So I'm just curious about how that is shaking out in, in what you what you are doing. Yeah, uh, it's been a weird, um, it's been a weird year. Um, it is very strange. Uh, like pastoring without resistance or without a whole lot of resistance, I should say. Um, and I, I, I don't know what to do with that. And, and, and we're like, I guess we'll get it figured out and then we'll just try to, you know, we'll start, we, we've joked at the church that we're going to start uh, the X two network, you know, instead of the, the X 29 network was, which is like Mark Driscoll's thing, which is like, you know, Acts, Acts, the book of Acts ends at the 28th chapter, and his whole thing was like, Acts 29, we'll just plant these churches as a continuation. And our thing is like, uh, let's just start the Acts 2 network where we just go back to where everybody shares everything, and we'll just do that. And let's just see if that works. Um, no, it, it it is really, really bizarre to... Um, to uh, pastor and to to be a pastor to people that like are ready to go on these things that are uh willing to read so uh, for listeners that don't know we uh we have a financial literacy class that just concluded uh tonight when we're recording these um in which we read uh Karl Marx um and uh and we, we read Marx's Capital in order to understand what's happening to us which is like kind of a weird thing for churches to do um and i yeah i don't know how it's going to play out i mean for us uh, so i'm the co-pastor of missions and outreach and so for me thinking about missions um it seems like missions should be uh solidarity with working class people both inside and outside our congregation we have a couple of congregants that are uh, that are organizing in their workplace right now, um, or moving towards more militant organizing in their workplace if they already have a, a union. Um, but that feels like uncharted territory, at least for especially churches in North Carolina, because the labor movement is so so weak here. But that's where it feels like it should lead us to to maybe answer your question like that that that's the most obvious like first spot is oh every every member of our church should understand they should organize in their workplace and if they feel scared to do that they should know that their church has their back i mean it sounds a lot like we've talked about uh the labor church or the tradition of the labor church on this podcast in the past um examples where especially in the early 20th century um pastors who were getting shoved out of their congregations for speaking against capitalism and then congregants who felt alienated by their pastors who wouldn't speak out 
you know, found um, a way to come together. In some cases, pastors going right down to picket lines and saying, let's start a church right here out of these striking workers. Um, And the church becomes a vehicle for exactly that, right, for collecting people who are organized and organizing and and reproducing that sort of thing. Do you guys see yourself in that kind of tradition? Or um, do you, you just mentioned this is kind of uncharted territory. Do you see this more as kind of like, you know, I guess, piecing these things together ad hoc, just as they had to do, you know, a hundred years ago or something. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, at least as I see it, um, yeah, it's uncharted in that, like, our goal is for our church to be right there with striking workers and also for the members of our church to be learning how to organize and strike. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's just, it's really, really weird. Like I, I don't, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know where it's going to go because we have a couple church members that are very actively organizing their coworkers right now. Uh, we also, um, are being asked to participate and support and stand in solidarity as a church with organizing workers. So I, I don't know. I don't know that the two are, are mutually exclusive, but it does seem like what's happening and what we need to give an articulation to. And this is where I'm like, I'm like really excited because I like writing and I like I like giving a voice to uh, where I think things are headed, uh, like understanding why it is that we're doing this and how we're going to go about doing it and what that looks like. Um, and so that's that that's kind of what we're working on. So like our missions for the next year is going to be solidarity with and as working people, uh, which uh about a year and a half ago missions at the church i was working at was operation christmas child so that's a pretty cool that's like a cool move you know that's like a pretty fun it is it's good it's good yeah 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 so hop skipping a jump from franklin graham to uh you know i I mean i don't know who the next I will, maybe I'm the Franklin Graham of the left. That would be, that'd be pretty fun. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> someone has to be. It is yeah, like... someone, someone has to be. We, yeah, we come up with Christmas boxes that go to striking workers. <laughs> I would give my money to that. Yeah, um, yeah. It is really interesting, though, because, like, what you're doing is not super different than, like Dean said, the labor churches, you know, 100 years ago. But, like, you know, the situation, the context is significantly different and just also that there's no i mean you know there's no infrastructure the labor movement is in a whole different place i don't know it's you know it's similar but what you guys are doing is uncharted in the sense that there's no other churches like you i think i mean if there are let me know like let me know and i'll go but um it seems pretty it seems pretty unique at the moment at least well um yeah no i think i think that's right and i think that's where so there is a sense of like that, that I have. A, I mean, like, uh, love Heath Carter and his book, mm-hmm. uh, which listener. I mean, listener should have read it, but 
if they're new to the podcast or whatever, like definitely read that. Um, and recognizing that there is like a, there is a history to all these things, but it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, uh, super pertinent right now or like it's, it's been, uh, destroyed. Yeah. yeah. And, and defeated for like a long time. And so, so, I mean, even like as we're creating this kind of plan for missions about supporting labor and labor organizing and organizing workers, I'm thinking about it from the standpoint of like, what do, uh, in a year when we have like a half dozen church members that are organizing their coworkers, when we are showing up to picket lines and strikes, like, what is the thing that I like, what do I want the sort of rationale and practical plan to be that people can go to when someone says, well, why are you doing that? And they look to it and go, Oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, which was, wasn't a thing you had to make a hundred years ago in churches that were in the midst of these labor. I mean, they might've come down on the wrong side, but there was at least like a rationale for one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? And that's what I'm trying to like, I, and it's so weird. It's very, very strange to try to figure out like, Oh, how do I rationalize the sort of end of supporting organized labor? Um, in a situation in which organized labor, I mean, North Carolina, I think has the least, it's, it's South Carolina is the least uh, unionized state in the country, and then North Carolina is second. And it's like two, two percent to two point one or something like that of workers are in union. Yeah, and, and we're hoping to get that up to at yeah. least four to five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what impact you guys make. I mean, I can't imagine it would be insignificant. Um, well, let's let's shift gears really quick here because we don't have a whole lot of time left. Um, but speaking of uh, you, John, being the next Jerry Follow of the left, um, <laughs> uh, let's, let's, it's a, no, it's, it's a good nice idea. Yeah. No, let's talk about the Falkirk Center. So in case you haven't heard out there, Jerry Falwell and Charlie Kirk started their own center at Liberty University in order to win over the hearts and minds of young Christians who've been indoctrinated by socialist ideologies by, quote, weak need and feckless churches. So, you hate it when your church doesn't have enough feck. <laughs> my church is all out of feck. My, my church I go is... to a, a, a feckful church. <laughs> you, need a, you need a church with strong knees. But John, uh, as a pastor who is actually who is actually doing this kind of thing, indoctrinating people with socialist ideologies, <laughs> what what's going on with the Falkirk Center? Why are they doing this? Well, I've got a lot. I've got a lot of ideas. <laughs> uh, first of all, I love that if you Google the Falkirk Center, um, the first hit is what appears to be some sort of like. Bed and breakfast or something like some. <laughs> it's yeah. I can do this right it's now. It's definitely not the Liberty University. Uh, 
think tank, and let's put think in uh, in scare quotes. Yeah. <laughs> think is doing a lot of uh, a lot of work in that uh, yeah in that phrase. Ultimately, what they're they're doing is they realize. Uh, well, I think Charlie Kirk uh, is getting protested by the farthest of alt right people, um, and so like I mean if. People go and look up, like he and Donald Trump Jr. were on some sort of book tour and they got like heckled off stage, but it was, but it wasn't by like the libs. It was by the most alt-right people. Um, so I think, I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's just super funny. Um, and so I kind of wonder if this whole thing is just uh, an easy way to get him a paycheck and to have like a, a millennial come in and just assure a bunch of boomers, a bunch of like, well, like well off boomers that they're, um, you know, that like, Oh, there are, there are millennials out there that are in favor of capitalism and there definitely are, but it's not cool. Like that's like, most importantly, like, it's, not, it's cool not cool to be like, oh yeah, Jeff Bezos, that dude rules. Like that's fucking awesome, <laughs> you know. Like, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I think that's part of it. Uh, I don't know. It's it. I think it's so funny. I also think it's a way to get like media credentials, um, because Liberty University is like a big deal. I mean, it's like one of the biggest schools in the in the country based on online students um that that yeah i i that like that gives some credentials to get people on tv to go out and combat socialism is basically their their thing um but they have to, i mean there's some great quotes about like i mean i'm, I'm pulling up charlie kirk said young christians are becoming increasingly marxist in their political leaning uh, the Falkirk Center will seek to educate the public about the indispensable harmony between natural rights and the gospel of Jesus Christ while rejecting the secular agenda of the left. So that's kind of the, like, that's what they're after. And to my knowledge, they haven't even heard of Jubilee Baptists yet. <laughs> they will soon. Uh, um, I So uh, I should I, say... I think so, um, which is also kind of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it could be the best thing that ever happened to you, though. You never know. Um, we, uh, we've been very carefully, Matt and I, the last several days, just been doing some really good media journalism by following the uh, Falkirk Center Facebook page and directing um, our friends to go to it and leave bad reviews. And I am happy to report that it is now 2.8 stars out of 5. Um, and that is down from, from the 5-star rating it had before this. So that's great. So that that at least <laughs> kind of confirms, I think, your suspicion that this is basically nothing <laughs> so far. Yeah, um, well, okay. So the website... <laughs> the, <laughs> the website... and this So, so Liberty University is a multi... $100 million... It is one of the biggest universities in the country and the website for the Falkirk Center, which is a, a think tank under Liberty University 
is just a picture of Charlie Kirk and Jerry Falwell Jr. doing a thumbs up in an office. <laughs> you gotta love it. It's so good. That's the entire website. Like that's that's it. They couldn't roll. Yeah, it, it has all of the makings of like a, of a sham of just a, a grift. Like just get some rich donors to give some money to let these guys post and go on TV. I think so too. In the 1950s, this is like a, a weird deep dive, but in the 1950s, there were these like, um, I don't know, business people, business organizations. They were doing this like research just to kind of gauge like how the public felt about business people. And, um, <laughs> business people i think historically are universally hated uh even if you're not a socialist people just like don't trust them they don't think that think of them as like you know prestigious or upstanding people in society a anyways the the results of these surveys in the 50s would always be they're like pew pew research studies and stuff they're always that like people don't really care about business people they don't think they're very serious they don't think that they contribute anything to society an overall bad brand for business people so in response in the 50s this is when like um when people like business people from different, you know, big companies, they would give money to, to universities, um, state universities for sure, but Christian universities particularly to like start different types of think tanks and uh, curricula to try to raise the prestige or raise the brand of business people in, um, you know, amongst their students, right? Because, you know, if students favor socialism or if they think, you know, that business people are bad, you know, it's less likely that they'll they'll be business people, that they'll sort of perpetuate their own ideologies. But to me, this is like, it seems like this is in that vein of thing. Like, that's what they're trying to do, right? Like, they want to make sure that Christian students don't become socialists. But this is like the worst attempt I've ever seen at it in my entire life. Right, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's what, that's what I can't figure out is like, who who are they hoping to convert and how yeah and that's where like if you actually look at the website like they do they, it's it's actually just it's actually just a bunch of rich people paying for charlie kirk to go to the meme factory like that's <laughs> the, like that is that's the like that's what they want it's not they're not offering classes they're not because the Koch brothers are doing all that stuff. Like, yeah, yeah. There's, there's nothing. Uh, yeah, they're not engaging anybody in any real way. And they, and they say this as they like talk about the launch of this think tank. Is it like it's about the social media blitz about this stuff that like all, all these young people are going to socialism and so we need to combat that but it it makes no sense if you are under the age of like 40 now if you're under the age of like 55 and just online uh i think it makes a ton of sense if you're like 62 and already a donor <laughs> to, you're like oh yes yeah go get the go get them online go aggressively fight for capitalism online i will support whatever whatever thing you're doing and uh oh it's yeah i just think it's so funny because it's not like they're gonna put out like is it like a think tank they're not gonna put out like policy papers 
Right. Right. Like in fact, yeah. uh, so they are so not going to put them out that uh, that is something that a <laughs> a person in this article I found, Jenna Ellis, an ambassador for the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty, had said explicitly. <laughs> she says, um, ironically, in a digital age with metadata at our fingertips. She really sounds like she knows what she's talking about. <laughs> People are lost when it comes to politics, policy, and current events. Falkirk Center is designed to engage socially and politically using the same tools that the left has been employing, social media. Uh, and she says explicitly people aren't going to look at, uh, at policy papers. Um, this Also, this quote, by the way, comes from a CBN article, Christian Broadcasting News. Right. Uh, and the, <laughs> the title of this article, which I love, is Powerful Duo Starts New Venture. Judeo-Christian Principles Take on Secularism, Socialism. <laughs> So there you go. They've got at least one other person, and that's Jenna Ellis, their ambassador. That rolls, and also that sounds exactly right, which is that the people they are trying to appeal to don't yeah. give a shit about actual policy papers or understanding any of this stuff. It really is just about creating memes and being online and owning the lives. Uh, and uh, and I welcome it. I'm I'm excited to yeah. I I hope that Jubilee Baptist proves an interesting foil for them. Uh, because who gives a shit? Like, what are they actually doing other than justifying the the wealthy and powerful? That's it. That's our that's our whole job. And and they're trying to make that sound cool and interesting. Totally. In the in the seventies and eighties, um, the Walton family they gave a lot of money to uh, Christian schools like John Brown University to start like initiatives to import students from Latin America and Central America to like teach them about business so they they could go start you know WalMarts in their own com- countries or whatever and also to kind of like as an anti-communist initiative and like that was at least like a well-funded and well-orchestrated devious plot but this is just a Facebook page with less than 300 people right right Jerry Fall Jr has the charisma of a styrofoam cup like that's the other crazy <laughs> thing it's like he's not even a uh, you know, you just, uh, we got the Judeo-Christian value. You went to Jesus and Jefferson. We're out here talking. Jefferson, he had a house out in Lynchburg. He had, no, most people don't know that, but he had a house out in Lynchburg. And so he was, when you combine those values, those are the eternal values. And he's like, what the, what are you talking about? Like, he is... It, it is unhinged when you watch him talk about this. And it's obvious that, like, it is – it's a joke. The whole thing is a joke. Um, I feel like I need to rebrand I mean, as a person who – Like, it's an easy way to make a lot of money. Um, I mean, my, my – <laughs> My question is, like, are they going to teach a class on uh, how to do land deals with your personal <laughs> trainer and an 18-year-old pool boy in Miami? Oh, no. Like, is that, a, is that part? What, what are the Judeo-Christian values that inform that? That would be an interesting... Uh... 
I feel like I need to rebrand as a person who's just all about values, all about Christian values and how socialism is just one of those values. Working people is just a, it's something I really value. It's something a lot of a lot of good people value. And just if you say value over and over again, if you say it enough times, uh, I think you can hypnotize an entire audience into giving <laughs> you a lot of money. That's what I'm learning. I mean, uh, do you think there is a, a an angle to this that is like, I mean, these guys are the grifters of this. But, like, there is an angle to it that I think is a little bit scary. And, like, the um, Know Your Enemy podcast, which uh, with friend of the pod, uh, <laughs> friend of your pod. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Matt Sittman. Um, in that, like, the right is figuring out a kind of populist language. Um, I think the... The the I the Failkirk Center is uh, a weird and bad attempt at this, but I do think there is something going on on the right of like a a recognition that like people are very very scared, uh, and um, and that people recognize that something is antagonizing them. Um, and I do think something like the Falkirk Center—they're—they're they're just trying to capitalize on that—that that sense of being under attack and that sort of thing. But that—that's like real. I mean, it's—it's it's not going away. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, we don't have a lot of time left here, but John, I think that you do definitely have what it takes to to be the Jerry Falwell of the left. Um. <laughs> he is—he is the champion of the Detnico Center. That's true. We've we're giving you an honorary <laughs> degree <laughs> right now. Well, I'd like, I mean, I'd like to end on a more hopeful note than what I just said, which is that, like, I do that while I do think uh, there are these like goofy iterations of it of the Philkirk uh, Center um, that are recognizing the the contradictions and and failings of capitalism to provide for people. To um, you know, be good in the ways that it promises to be. Um, I, I see a lot of a lot of people, and and to sort of your podcast and our, our conversation, I see a lot of Christians that are like questioning capitalism in a in a real way, and that's why I think, yeah, this I mean, this the fail Kirk thing is definitely a grift. Uh, but, uh, what I think it's, it's a recognition of is that like, yeah, we're, we're encountering some real problems that, that, uh, have always been there, have always affected people. They've especially affected minorities, women, um, LGBTQ people, uh, but they've also affected them because of their being working class. And so uh, we're in a moment where like, those crises are really, really real. Uh, and, they, and they're stretched really thin and, and people are trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and so the, what you see with something like a Falkirk Center is the the ruling class trying to figure out how to make sense of that 
for for the ruling class uh, in a way that they can just make some money. But there's uh, most people are just really dissatisfied with how things are, and they're really upset. And and there's an opening there for I think both Christians and a working class movement. That uh, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know what I don't know what that will lead to. I think that opening is there. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, and I, I don't I don't think Charlie Kirk or Jerry Falls Jr. have the answers that anybody cares about, and so it'll be interesting to see uh, what we can do about organizing people and giving them an answer as to what what it is that's actually causing those problems in life and and what to do about it yeah i think that makes a lot of sense um that's a good way to put it that's that real that real jerry follow of the left energy we all need right now <laughs> i should have you know just uh, i should have gone i should have mumbled a lot more <laughs> he sucks so bad at talking it's incredible. incredible it's he's it's, so it's bad really amazing he's really and, and that's uh yeah they talk about like his brother got all the charisma but he got all the like political capital <laughs> <laughs> it's a meritocracy what can you do yeah that's it that's it yeah um well thanks for coming back john and uh yeah we look forward to uh having you again in the new year to find out what uh 2020's theme ought to be as we welcome a a new decade into uh this world sounds good thanks guys Thanks for listening to The Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash The Magnificast. You can also follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash The Magnificast. We even have a secret Facebook group called The Magnificast Basement. You can jump in there, too, if you want to. Um, cool. Well, uh, thanks to Amari Armstrong for the cool intro music, and thanks to The Logical Spoon for the outro music. All right, y'all. See you next week. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church We'll meet down by the riverside There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no dam between us and our Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up Keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, you keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late, oh don't mind, a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon.